preaching in Jesus' name this morning. <clears throat> the title of the message this morning is The Day the World Was Plunged from Darkness into Light. Uh, well, you think of being plunged into darkness, but this day the world was plunged from darkness into light. Uh, I feel a little self-conscious this morning because, uh, and I'll tell you why. I'll be right up front with you. I take my responsibilities in priority. Okay, so the sermon gets priority. So I prepare my sermon and then I, uh, after that's all done, then I study my Sunday school lesson. Uh, I opened my Sunday school lesson and discovered that my sermon was exactly the same text as the Sunday school lesson. So, I have a choice of saying, well, this is exactly what the Lord wanted, or being embarrassed. So I'm choosing the first one. And so here we go. You can turn with me to Isaiah 9. <coughs> I am so glad that we can read passages of Scripture and we can study passages of Scripture and, and we never exhaust the contents of it. So I wasn't worried that our Sunday School lesson is going to cover everything that I was going to say. Um, and uh, if I say something that was said in the Sunday School lesson, then I'm assuming that God wants to hear it wants us to hear it twice so uh, Isaiah 9 beginning at verse 1 nevertheless the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when the when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations the people that walked in darkness. This is my text for today. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, when you think of Galilee, what do you think of? I remember, I've little boy, my first impressions of 
Jesus and Galilee and the Sea of Galilee and I just couldn't imagine a nicer place to be. I mean, you know, you had the Peter, James, and John in the sailboat in the deep blue sea or whatever it was and Jesus and Galilee and I just, you know, the pictures were, you know, green grass and little brown buildings and and I just thought, you know, if I could live in Galilee, that would be the nicest place to live. Jesus lived there and he healed people in Galilee and wow, Galilee must have been a wonderful place. Because I always connected with Jesus and you know and and Jesus was such a wonderful person and he lived in such a wonderful place. But as I think now, Galilee didn't put Jesus on the map. Jesus put Galilee on the map. It's because of Jesus that formed my impressions of Galilee. And I'm not sure that, as I studied this morning, uh, my impressions of Galilee before Jesus arrived uh, was dramatically changed. What did Len say? 507 years at least? They were under foreign rule. Naphtali and Zebulun was at the edge of Israel. So when somebody decided to invade Israel and take Israel, guess who got it first? Galilee got it first. I mean, you don't fly all your people in and drop them in the middle of Israel and they go out like this and take it. No, they come in from the edge. And so who got it first? Galilee got it first. So this setting was a fall of Israel. So Galilee, Naphtali, and Zebulun, they would get the brunt of the invasions. They were out at the edge. They were out at the perimeters. So when Assyria decided to invade Israel, they started with the Galileans. And the Galileans got beat up first. So this is a war-torn area. Because it was at the edge, and because of that, we have mixed populations of residents and invaders. So here they are, taken over. They hated their oppressors. We read that in the Bible. Come on, Jesus, let's set up a kingdom, get rid of all these people that we hate. That's what they, you know, if you're going to be a king, let's have a king. Let's, let's, let's shake all this off and set the throne of David back up. Let's get some glory. Let's get some let, let's get back to where we were. I hate this stuff of being taxed and you got to put your pregnant wife on a donkey and take her somewhere so you can pay the taxes to the people you hated. 
You can read that in Luke 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So here they are, forced to leave home, go pay their taxes to these people that overran their country. So they were in rebellion against the Syrians. They hated them. And you know what was worse than that? They were in rebellion against God. That's why the Syrians were doing what they were doing. They were in rebellion against God. Lynn described their mixed worship. They didn't like the Syrians, what they were doing to them. They didn't like what God wanted to do them. And they couldn't get accomplished what they wanted to do. So they were into forced subjection. And in that forced subjection, they were facing extreme oppression, suffering. So what do you, what do you think their future looked like? Pretty dim. Pretty gloomy. No hope. No future in sight. Hating every minute. I, I don't know what all was happening here, but obviously this, this, this society that Jesus circled in was this, this, how I just described it, demon possession. So these people were at least some of them, at least, were giving themselves over satanic forces. And because of all that, Galilee was a despised, neglected region. Because it was, it took the brunt of the invasions. Dark really dark in fact in Isaiah 60 it calls it gross darkness now what does gross mean in Isaiah 60 it says arise shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee for behold the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Now, not only was this politically problem, political problems here, notice as you look at the life of Jesus, and he's circulated in this culture, guess what the religious culture was like? They had the scribes and the Pharisees. How did Jesus talk about you're, you're like white and separate because you're rotten inside? This is the spiritual leadership that these people were getting. They, they, they counted out their little herbs and whatever, and inside they're it, it just rotten. And they made, Bible says they made all kinds of man made rules. They rejected God's rules. They made man made rules. And, and, 
not only was politically dark, but it was spiritually dark. The Bible says it was gross darkness, thick darkness. In fact, the, re the whole region was pretty much disrespected. Uh, I think people thought that the place was kind of worthless. Turn with me to John 1. It's interesting how we connect localities with How, you, how do I say it? It's just like we connect people with localities and if the you know if the town isn't too great well then maybe the people aren't too great either you know it's like uh, small town Minnesota you know it's where they leave their Christmas lights up year round and junk cars jacked up in the yard and and uh, trash thrown out and don't mow the grass. And oh, so you're from Lansing, huh? Uh, John 1, 43 to 46. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there anything, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip's ahead, come and see. You might be surprised what comes out of Nazareth. Any good thing come out of Nazareth? Any good thing come out of Galilee? Come on. John 7. John 7, 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they had heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers of the chief priests and Pharisees and said unto them, Why have you not brought him? Why didn't you go get him for us? And the officers answered, Never a man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also de deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. 
Nicodemus saith unto him, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him? And knoweth what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went to his own house. Galilee can't be. Oh, so you if you're if you're sympathizing with this man, you must be Galilee too because you don't understand. You just don't think right. Because no prophet can come out of Galilee. So this whole frame of reference in in this location, this locality, people attach to the ability to comprehend. They attach to the worthlessness of the, uh, of the location. Thick darkness. Severe prejudice. In fact, of our text, it calls it the land of the shadow of death. I try to place myself, as I thought about this, in a war-torn area. Uh, when I look at the news, they have like a photo blog or something, and then and it's just current pictures of what's happening in the world. And in those pictures, because of conflict in our world, you will have a mom and a child running. The mom is crying. And she's holding the child, the mom is crying, and there is blood say running down the mom's face or whatever or on the child or whatever and they got caught in a crossfire somewhere somebody's some whatever you got caught in a crossfire of a conflict now can you imagine going to bed at night not knowing whether you wake up in the morning. Can you imagine waking up in the morning, say, well, I made it this morning, not knowing if you're going to make it to the night. The shadow of death. Every once in a while, I'll scroll down, and it's just this black screen, and it says, "This photo may contain graphic images that may be offensive or whatever." And then those pictures, you will see death. People that were in the shadow of death, and experienced death. Have you ever been to 
cave, or I remember Mary Sue and I honeymoon, we went to the Lost Sea. Well, the thing that's amazing is the Lost Sea is, I mean, it's one huge cavern or whatever. And it's, it's filled with water and whatever. It's kind of, I don't remember a whole lot, but I, I remember it coming down and then you have a little place to stand here and then there's all this water. All right, so, so they say, we're going to turn out the light. And if you're honeymooners, you can get a kiss while the lights are out. So, did we do it then? I can't remember. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. If I recall. Uh, we had a quote in by that time, probably. For the day. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyhow. So you turn out the light. Are you here for and I mean, you turn on the light, and it don't matter how light the light is, you can get your hand in there, and you put your hand in front of your, and you feel on the end of your nose. Well, I mean, there is no light. Gross darkness. I mean, thick darkness. And things start coming to your head. I hope the switch works. Now this is after you went thousands or you know, 200, 300 feet of going like this, and then you go like, now everybody has stuck the tummy in, so you get through this one, and you know, and the guy, you know, he's in, and, and, okay, so what would happen if the light wouldn't come on? What would happen if you got disoriented and you dropped into the water? It's interesting, if you ever look at a chart of the Old Testament, as Israel deteriorated, every time Satan plugged in a bad king, God plugged in a prophet. That's very, very interesting to watch it. Take a timeline of the good kings, and where there was a good king, God, there was prophets there, but when there was a bad king, God would plug another one in. And there's a good one and a bad one, to plug them in. And you had three bad ones in a row, God keep plugging in prophets. Boom, 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 like this. Incredible to look at that. And the worse Israel got, the more prophets God plugged in. As they get darker and darker and darker and darker. And it's amazing to me, when it got so thick, God turned on the light. And I am so impressed I am so impressed that God didn't turn on the light at the most wonderful place that he could find. You know where he turned on the light? 
Galilee? Galilee? Of all places to turn on the light, Galilee! I mean, those people are war-torn, they're beat up, they're, they're, they, you know, they've taken all this brunt of all these invasions and the places disrespected. The people aren't even be able, they, they imply they can't even logic and think right because they're from Galilee. How can, how can anybody with any intelligence come out of Galilee? And right there, There's a child born. Into this empty, confused, hopeless, rebellious, suffering, despicable, war-torn, beat-up mess. Where the Bible says the garments are rolled in blood. They knew what war was about. They knew what the invasions were about. There's a child born. At the darkest time, at the most unlikely place, God comes through. There's a child born. The Bible says there is a great light. And the people are going to see the light. The day the world was plunged from darkness to light. John describes it in chapter 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the life shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehendeth it not there was a man sent from God whose name was John the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John said, as many has received him. Brothers and sisters this morning, decision time. Decision time. What are we going to do with the light? Decision time. You see, if we decide to receive him, there's hope. 
There's deliverance from the oppressor. There's the privilege of becoming a child of the king. There's a personal experience of Emmanuel being with us, with me. Do you and I appreciate that when our life was empty, confused, hopeless, rebellious, despicable, battle-torn, gory mess that Jesus came for me. We were in gross darkness. See, if I receive him, then we can go on. When I receive him, I, I have the opportunity to personally know the man who is wonderful. Wonderful. Wonderful teacher. The Bible says they marveled at his teaching. They were dumbfounded. He had wonderful power. The Bible says the people were astonished at his miracles. Now there's something, that I, a thought that came to me, and I don't know if, if in the timeline this is, this is actually the way it is or not, but I, I just wondered, with all this oppression and with all this happenings in Galilee and since they were on the edge and they took the brunt of all these invasions and all this stuff could it possibly be that when Jesus healed he was healing war injuries I don't know I don't know what the Syrians did to the people I don't know what their oppression was. Could Jesus have been healing war injuries or abuse? I, I probably didn't do waterboarding back then, but, you know, um, that just was a new thought to me. How did they get halt? How did they get light? Was that natural or was that because of abuse by their oppressors? That's just... He was wonderful. His, his love was wonderful. It, 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 it motivated him not only to live and to operate in this despicable area that the world just looked down on. Not only did he, did he operate in there but he loved these people so much and you and I so much that he went to the cross. Now if that's not wonderful 
I, I don't know what would be. I can personally know the counselor. You know, if we have problems in our life and, you know, it just goes on and on, I say, well, maybe you should go get a little counseling, get a little counseling, which, which is okay. People that know how to help other people. Christ counsels us. He tells us how to live lives that are successful. He tells us, if, if you're going to be happy, if you're going to be successful, then you have to be like a little child. If you're going to succeed in life, if you're going to find satisfaction, then you can't seek honor and fame and all that and money. You can't pursue that. You have to pursue me and my character. He, he says, if, if you want to feel fulfilled, you can't pursue your own selfish ambitions and, uh, and, and cater to yourself. You have to deny yourself. You have to be other people oriented if you're going to find satisfaction in life. See, this is his counseling center. Jesus set up this counseling center. If we go there, we're going to have to listen to what he had to say. You have to deny yourself. You, you can't live a selfish life and find satisfaction. That's a dead-end street. It's impossible. If you want to reduce your stress, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest for you unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Good advice? Comes right out of the counseling center. If you're stressed out, if you're maxed out, come to Jesus. See, then I can know, personally know, the mighty God. John says there was nothing made. Uh, everything we see is made by him, and without him was nothing made that was made or something. I, I can't quote that perfectly. But I, I can have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Oh, I have it right here. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, Jesus was there at the creation. I can have a personal relationship with the everlasting Father. See, the Father... It understands all the history back there in the past. And this may be a contradiction of terms, but he also knows the history future. He knows the history future. He controlled all the history, 
Everything from the creation led, and I, if I may use an illustration, it was wide out here, and it all led up to this child that was born. All history narrowed itself down, narrowed down, narrowed down, and then there's a child born. And all history goes from that child and broadens out. It's all about that event when the world was plunged from darkness to light. From the time he was born to the time that he's going to come in the clouds. God has it all in control. All in control. Sometimes we get fear. We say, well, what's going to happen to our world before Jesus comes? Am I going to be able to hold out? Am I going to make it? Absolutely. If we are where God wants us to be, we're going to make it. It don't mean we're going to live very long, necessarily, but we're going to make it. And that's the important thing. And not only is he down there and he's and, and he, all this, he's right here today. I can know the everlasting Father that is living and reigning in our world today. I can know. And he's going to be our judge someday. And someday, he's going to be the focus of all the worship in heaven. Won't that be a wonderful day? I can personally know the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. We have peacemakers, we have... What, what do they call that? Some kind of award for peace, uh, whatever, I don't know, today. But... The Prince of Peace. I can know him. Romans 1, 5, 5, pardon me, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He gives us inward rest. He restores order into our lives. He makes all things new. He makes us loving. He makes us generous. He makes us courteous. He makes us patient. He makes us peaceful. The Prince of Peace. Now, in the minds of these people, government was priority. Like, they didn't like their government when Jesus showed up. They did not like their government. And they had bones to pick with Caesar, and they had bones to pick with, you know, they get the coin out and says, who should we be loyal to? And, and, and Jesus answered all them, them questions. I, I mean, he was. He was tops. He was good. 
take a coin. They said, well, whose picture's on it? Well, if that his picture's on it, then you need to give him some taxes. That's simple as that. And they thought, it's making this complicated. And so, this government, the Bible says, of the increase of his, his government, his government, not a government, his government, and peace there shall be no end. Now we have to understand something about this government. This government that arrived was a government that made all other governments, the Bible says, as a drop in the bucket. There is no other government that can even begin to hold a candle to his government. There shall be no end. They were dealing with the Assyrian government, but of his government. There shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and establish it with just judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. God is going to take care of us and he's going to make sure it happens. This government will not collapse. His government. Now think about that. We may fear our government. Let's, let's never forget the two kingdom concept. We are part of a government that will never end. And God will take care of it. So the question comes to, the, to me this morning and to you. This child That has come, this child, whose government shall be upon his shoulders, is my life under his rule. This is no small question. It is not a trivial question. Is my life under the rule? of his government. Do I appreciate the light he has brought into my darkness? My gross darkness. What is my response? Oh, come, let us adore.